The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let me ask you a rather simple and yet could be complex question. Who are you? Or phrased another way, how do you view yourself? Now maybe you look at yourself as as being a a kind, nice person, considerate of others, faithful and hardworking. But maybe there's another perspective on it too. And that is, how do other people view you? Do they see you in a different way that you see yourself? And if you know how they see you, does that change how you act around them? Have you ever had a fortune cookie and and you looked at uh, the statement there and sometimes, you know, you look at them and you think, you know, there's there's something behind that. (laughs) And maybe uh, it's telling you something about maybe what you're like or could be as a person and then it makes some kind of promise about how you could be successful or whatever it might be. Of course, you recognize that that fortune is simply generic and it was just by chance that you happened to get it and so you don't really give any more consideration to it by the time you're done eating the cookie. But the point is, we do think about who we are and how we act. But more important than how we view ourselves or maybe how others view us is this. How important, or rather, how does God view us? How does he see what we are like? And how do we know what it is? We refer to ourselves as a church. Now that can have different ideas or meanings for people. But today let's look at what God says that means. As we begin a new series of messages entitled, Be the Church, in which we look at things that the early Christian church did and recorded for us in the book of Acts, today we want to start out with this simple idea of who does God say we are? How does he see us? And that will tell us why we can be the church. Because it is who we are. We're going to use as our text for study this morning the opening words that Paul used in his letter to the Corinthians. Now, when they would write letters in the Bible times, uh, they would start out and not simply say, Dear Mr. and Mrs., or Dear Members of Apostles, but they would usually add some more descriptive phrases. And that's why we're going to look at those words. Not because this is how Paul or the other apostles viewed the Christians of that day, but rather this is how God views us. Because remember, the apostles are writing by inspiration of God. They're writing God's words. And so through them, God is telling them how he looks at us, his church. Now before we look at 1 Corinthians, uh, the first few verses, I want to show you something else. Because as I was studying, I thought, hmm, I wonder how the other letters start out. The other letters written by Paul and the other apostles. And so I did a quick view of them, and I I found it rather interesting, all the things that they said, and noted a lot of similarities. So we're going to take you for a couple of minutes and just read through the openings of all of those letters, and keep this in mind 
This is how God sees us, his people. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he starts out this way. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. We'll pass over 1 Corinthians for a moment and go to 2 Corinthians, where he writes, To the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people in the, throughout Acacia. In Galatians, he simply says, To the churches in Galatia. In Ephesians, he writes, To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And in Philippians, written about the same time, he writes, to all the saints in Christ at Philippi. And Colossians, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. In First and Second Thessalonians, he uses the exact same greeting. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then James, another apostle, writes with a little bit of a different twist when he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now he writes to the 12 tribes, indicating that this was the background of them as Christians. Now, whether they were Jewish by culture or just Jewish spiritually, what he is indicating, their roots lie in the Old Testament as the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter writes a more lengthy description of his readers. He said, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. In his second letter, he simply says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. The Apostle John addresses his audience in a rather interesting way. He writes, To the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now, he wasn't writing to a particular woman. He was writing to the church. But because the word church in the Greek language is a feminine word, and because God often spoke of the church as his bride, he addresses this group as the lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. And finally, the Apostle Jude writes, To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize that we went through those rather quickly, but you notice that I had some words that were underlined. Words that I thought were ideas that were repeated in all of those different addresses. And what they were simply saying is, this is how God sees you. Now let me tell you, if you ever have a bad day, just open up to one of those letters and read those first verses. And it will change your perspective about who you are and what's going on. But now... Let's pull it all together, and let's look how Paul addresses the Corinthians in his first letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, some, again, some words that I have underlined. Words that were common in most of those addresses and words that we're going to study this morning. Why? Because this is how God sees us. He's telling us, this is who you are. Now, we might simply call ourselves a church and think of ourselves as a gathering of people. Well, that is what the word church meant. These are the two Greek words that were repeated in most of those addresses. The first one, kletos, simply means called. You heard that repeated several times. The group that God has called. And from that comes the next word which we translate in English, the church, ecclesia, from which we get our English word ecclesiastical, but it means the called out group. That's how God sees us. He sees us as a group of people who have been called out. Now, that was a word that was used in common language in the Greek Empire simply to refer to an assembly of people who had been called out for a purpose. But when we look more closely at the details, we see exactly what it means that we are called out. I'm going to give you two prepositions this morning that help define who we are. Now, this is a little English grammar lesson, no extra charge. Um, a preposition is a word in English that simply means you are showing the relationship of one word to another. And these prepositions not only show us grammatically relationship of words, more importantly, they show us our relationship with something or someone. That first preposition is the word from, and we're going to get to that as we see it from this passage in 1 Peter that we heard before when Paul says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of or out from the darkness into his wonderful light. So that first preposition is from. That's what defines our relationship with darkness. The word from simply means separation. God has called us out from darkness. He has separated us from darkness. Now, what do we mean by darkness? Darkness in the scriptures is used to symbolize unbelief. Think for a minute of what it's like to be in darkness, if you've ever been in a, in a real dark room. Maybe you don't know what's around you. You might not know exactly where you should go. You're kind of at a loss. And sometimes, if it's real dark, it maybe even feels a little spooky, right? A little fearful of what might happen or what might be there, and you're very unsure of things. Well, that's why darkness is used as a symbol for unbelief for people who don't know God, who don't know what he has put around them, what his plan is for them, people who don't know about him, who, what he's like, and what he has done for us, and, and what he wants to do for us. 
it's easy to see that darkness in our world today. When we see people who don't know God, or people who don't want anything to do with God, they live perhaps with a sense of uncertainty and fear. They live just for the moment, just for this life, because to them there's nothing that comes later on. They live perhaps without any sense of of commitment or direction or guidance. They simply live as they want. That's the darkness of unbelief. But Scripture also uses darkness to stand for something else, and that is ungodliness, sinfulness. That is not knowing and not following what God wants us to do, not living in obedience to his will or with love to him. Now, the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 2, told us that at one time we lived in that darkness, but more than that, that that darkness lived in us. In other words, he reminded us that by nature, that's what we are like, ungodly people. And because that's our nature, that is also our desired or preferred condition. That's how we rather live. That's how natural it is for us to live, in ways that are against God's will. Right? Did anybody have to teach you how to be naughty? Nobody taught my kids that, and they certainly are at times. It just comes natural to us. And so it is that this darkness of ungodliness has lived inside of us. Now, given the darkness of unbelief and ungodliness, you can see how that's a rather precarious situation. In other words, it's hopeless. There's nothing that we can do to get out of it. But yet, God says, you have been called out from this. You have been separated from unbelief and ungodliness. How is that possible? Here's the second preposition, the little word by. It's indicating the cause, the reason, the power, the person who has called us out. We have been called by the will of God. Remember hearing that several times in those addresses that we went through a few minutes ago? It is by the will of God that we have been called out of that darkness of unbelief and ungodliness. What is the will of God? People always wonder, what's God's will for me? Well, the scriptures state very clearly that God's will is he doesn't want anybody to be damned. He wants all to be saved by coming to a knowledge of the truth. God knew what our predicament was, that we needed to be saved. We needed to be rescued from that darkness of unbelief and ungodliness. And he had a plan, a will, to address that. A will and a plan that goes back pre-creation, that is, in eternity past. Yeah, before this world was created, before the first human being sinned, God already had a plan to address our fall. He knew that human beings couldn't get themselves out of that predicament of unbelief and ungodliness. So his plan was to provide a substitute for them. Someone who could take their place in living under all of his laws perfectly, without any flaws. 
Someone then who could die for their sins, who would take the punishment of their disobedience upon themselves so that we wouldn't experience it. And yet somebody who could rise again from the dead because death was the punishment. Somebody who could come back to life to show the penalty had been paid and they would live forever. The only one who could help us human beings get out of that predicament is God himself. And so God sent his own son into this world to carry that out. That was the will of God. And that will and plan of God then becomes ours as the Holy Spirit works that into our hearts through his word. The Holy Spirit takes the message of God's plan First, by convicting us of our sin, to get us to realize our predicament and that we can in no way get ourselves out of it, but need his help. The Spirit then convinces us of God's mercy and love, convinces us that God will not treat us the way we deserve to be treated, but instead will bless us. That Spirit takes that message and breaks up that hard heart of unbelief and softens it with God's grace so that now God's pardon and peace comes to us through faith. And we know then that we have a right standing before God. And we know we have that promise that will be fulfilled of eternal life with Him in heaven. That's the working of God's Spirit. And that's how we have been called out from unbelief and ungodliness now to be considered God's people, his special possession, the church. Can you uh, think of a time when you had heard about somebody who was having a pretty tough time in life? Uh, Maybe they're going through a tough time with their health or maybe with finances. Maybe they lost their job and and things just didn't look good for them getting another job. Maybe it even gotten to the point where they might lose their home and and have to move. Now, whatever the situation, when you hear of somebody who's in a a bad situation, you maybe look at yourself and, and say, thank God that I'm not in that situation, that I have my health, that I have my job, that I have my home. I'll think of that spiritually. Think of those who don't know God or don't want God. Think of those who simply live to to please themselves, who live in any way they want. And then look at yourself and realize what God has made you, that he has called you out of that unbelief and ungodliness and has made you his special people. That's a reason to thank God. That's a reason to have comfort. This is what God wants for me. But more than just a message of comfort, that truth is also an encouragement for us. And that's what we want to look at now in these next few weeks. That's who I am. Called out from unbelief and ungodliness, but also I've been called to something. To be God's people, to be the church. 
Now let's just take one more look at the words that Paul used so that we see what God wants us to be. He said, to the church of God, that's that called out group, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. God has not only called us out of that unbelief and ungodliness, he has also called us to be something, and that is to be holy. You heard that word used several times in these addresses. To God's holy people. Other words that would bring the same meaning across were the word sanctified and, and the saints. All those words are related because they come from the same root Greek word which simply referred to something that was contaminated, now being cleansed and set apart for a divine purpose. And so it is that God has called us to be holy, to be sinless, and to be set apart for him. Now how in the world can you and I be cleansed from that contamination of sin when we experience it every day? There's only one way. And that's by the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all that sin. It's at the cross that you and I are cleansed. When we hear God's word of forgiveness spoken to us, when we receive that assurance in the Lord's Supper, we know that we have been cleansed from that contamination, and God sees us as his holy people. The Holy Spirit takes that truth now and puts that in our hearts so we know who we are. We have been set aside for salvation, for having a new life with God, life that's now and life that'll be forever. The Holy Spirit has also set us apart for being used by God for a special purpose. Now, when you look into the mirror every day, what do you see? Maybe the same old thing? <laughs> Maybe there are some things that you miss that other people see. Like my wife will come home and say, man, you're really getting a lot of gray hair. Yeah, thanks a lot. But when you look in the mirror, I want you to see something else. Not the same old you, but the new you. That God has called you and declared you to be without sin and to be set aside now for his holy purpose. That is, we are to live in love and faithfulness and obedience to God. Do you have trouble with that? Oh, yeah. Are there some areas of your life where you need some help to be more holy and set apart for God? Like maybe in the language you use or the attitude you have toward people or work. Maybe in your views or activities regarding sexuality or the use of substances. Maybe with greed or materialism. There's a lot of room for improvement, isn't there? But the Holy Spirit is working in us to be holy. You simply read the scriptures, and there he guides you and empowers you to live set apart for God. The other interesting thing to which God has called us, to what he wants us to be, 
is that he has called us together to be an assembly, a group of people. The scripture uses other words to describe who we are, like the words family, a nation, a priesthood, a body. All of those words give us that sense of unity and of working together. God has set us apart for a purpose, to serve him. We do that as we carry out the mission of proclaiming his love through the work of salvation in Jesus Christ. He has also called us to serve one another, to help each other in our needs, to build one another up in our faith, and to encourage each other in our walk with the Spirit. We are people who have been called together by God, set apart for his purpose. Have you ever realized that uh, there are certain things that are around you that uh, because they're so they're there so much that you just kind of ignore them? For example, in, in the back in the entryway, we have this paper tree with, with all these leaves on top, and that's been up there for a year now, and we've been trying to illustrate with all these different leaves, here's what we do as a congregation. Here's what your offerings and your prayers and your time and your talents support. Look at how this tree is growing. But we see it there every Sunday, and maybe we just pass by and don't look at it. There's also something that's printed in the back of your bulletin every week that's there all the time, and maybe we just ignore it. It's a statement called a mission statement that says, here's who we are. Here's what we are about. The Apostles' mission statement. I have it on the screen. It's there all the time, but maybe we don't read it and take it to heart. Well, let's read it together right now. Under the blessing of God, we strive to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ, grow in faith, love, and service, and go with the gospel into our community and the world. That's what we, we are about. Now, that probably doesn't fit into a fortune cookie very well, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You know, fortune cookies oftentimes make some little promise to you, but you realize that maybe that would happen, maybe it wouldn't. Listen to the promise that God gives us and connects with who we are. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you have that, you can be the church. Amen.